you're probably going to give the average patient in the United States with metastatic breast cancer an aromatase inhibitor and a CDK4-6 inhibitor. So you give that therapy, but then you have a big decision to make when and if they progress. If they're responding forever, you just continue what you're doing. But when the tumor ceases to respond, so presumably they've had some disease shrinkage and now they've got some growth, that could be a good time for an FBS scan. Not every staging study. No, you're just going to tell you the same thing over and over again. You don't want that. But at the time that you're worried that you need to switch treatments, you have to make a choice. And none of us are very good at this choice right now. What do you do after AI Palbo? It's a very hard decision and many patients don't respond to their next agent. You have to choose between endocrine therapy or chemotherapy, really. And if you want to make that choice with a bit of data, might be a good time to get an FES scan. Welcome to the RMBC Life podcast from Share Cancer Support, dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease, and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico, and I'm really glad you're here, since no one should face NBC alone. Hi, everyone. It's Linda Weatherby. Thanks for listening to this episode, where my co-host, Martha Carlson, and I will explain a new scanning tracer for estrogen-positive MBC that can give your oncologist a full-body view of estrogen-positive disease, and importantly, predict if you will respond to estrogen therapy. This molecular imaging or scanning agent is called FES, and that's short for fluoroestradiol. It's marketed under the brand name Siriana by GE Healthcare, and it's FDA-approved. Here are some key facts about FES that we'll cover more with our guests. First up, FES scans are only helpful for estrogen-positive MBC. The tracer is not useful in HER2 or triple-negative disease or early-stage breast cancer. There are several situations where you and your doctor might want to get an FES scan. The first is to help predict if you will respond to your first estrogen therapy at an initial metastatic diagnosis or continued estrogen therapy if your metastatic disease begins to progress. The second is when a biopsy is difficult, like in the bone, dangerous, like near the spinal cord, or just not an option, like in the brain. And the third is when your doctor needs to determine if all metastatic sites in the body are ER positive, that's called homogeneous disease, or ER positive plus another subtype, and that's called heterogeneous disease. As MBC patients, we all know we get a lot of scans, right? Well, the FES scan is now one more tool in your doctor's imaging toolbox. The standard of care is called the PET-CT scan, which stands for positron emission tomography and computed tomography. The FES scan is performed on the same scanner as these standard tests, just with a different radioactive tracer that gets injected to your arm, taken up by cancer cells, and measured. The PET scan uses a sugar-based agent called fluorodeoxyglucose, or FDG, and it's used because cancer cells love and eat sugar. That's called the uptake of the tracer. So more FDG uptake on a scan equals more cancer. FES is different because it's the first tracer to bind directly to estrogen receptors on the cancer cell, 
So the uptake on an FES scan confirms the presence of estrogen-positive cancer cells. It's very helpful in showing activity in the bones, lung, nodes, and brain, but not as effective in the liver and GI tract, as can happen in lobular MBC, and we'll explain why later. So if you've been doing MBC for a while, you all know this, but for anyone new to it, keep in mind that traditional FDG PET scans can show cancers throughout the body, but cannot confirm what subtype the cancer is, which is crucial in determining treatment for MBC. Biopsies can confirm the subtype and genomics of the site sampled, but reveal nothing about any unsampled sites in the rest of the body, and can be difficult, dangerous, or simply not an option. The FES PET test can fill in the blanks between the standard PET scan and a biopsy. It can be useful when done together with these other tests or as a standalone. Ultimately, this helps your oncologist know if you are a candidate for estrogen therapy or not without trying the drug and waiting to see a response over perhaps months, leading to better treatment decision-making. Okay, so let's get into the key intended uses for the FES Siriana technology situations where it is not informative or appropriate, and where it's available and why. We'll also dive into some specific nuances around lobular breast cancer. The first intended use is probably best explained by our friend and fellow MBC patient, Pam Cole, who is getting her care at Duke University in North Carolina. I was first diagnosed with early stage breast cancer in 2009 and less than a centimeter, no lymph node involvement, an oncotype of seven. So I had a lumpectomy, radiation, and five years of endocrine therapy. And at that time, I was told I was cured, that I was such a low risk of recurrence. And I had read that there was going to be some information coming out about staying on the endocrine therapy 10 years. I did ask my oncologist then whether I should stay on it. And he said, no, 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 you're cured. And I let that go because the paper hadn't actually been published, et cetera. So I went about feeling and knowing that I was cured, but none of us ever feel completely confident. I went in for my mammogram three years later during October, and they called me back for more pictures. And then they called me back. And we all know anybody who's ever been diagnosed with breast cancer, that's when our hearts start beating fast, when they keep calling us back. There was something suspicious in the exact area of the lumpectomy. They really believed that it was scar tissue, but they did an ultrasound and they still weren't sure and decided they needed to do a biopsy, which they did. And it was breast cancer. And everybody believed that it was just a recurrence. They kept saying, this is just a recurrence. We're going to put you back on endocrine therapy and all will be great. Oh, they said, but you're going to have to have a mastectomy because we can't re-radiate that area because you had, you know, whatever, 42 rounds of radiation. So I had the mastectomy and the pathology came back a little confusing. And at that point, I started asking for a PET scan. By this time, I was working at Komen in the local affiliate. I knew a lot. And I said, I want a PET scan. And they fought me and fought me. And finally, when the radiation oncologist said, 
I'm 95% certain we don't need to radiate the area that we did surgery on, but I just want to take it to the big tumor board. And I really put my foot down at that point. I said, if we're going to the tumor board, you need to have a PET scan. I need to have a PET scan. She said, you don't need one. I said, if I'm back here in five years, I want to know where we are at this point. And so she said, well, I'll try. Anyway, she got me the PET scan and she was, you know, PET scans give false positives all the time. And then we're going to have to go in and cut you and do this. And we know that this is just a recurrence. Well, the PET scan showed two lesions near my lung in lymph nodes that then, of course, did have to get biopsied. And on January 31st, 2017, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And they had to put me to sleep because of where they had to do the biopsy. My husband and I were in the outpatient recovery, and it was 6.30 at night, and I saw my oncologist and I saw my radiation oncologist walking down the hall to come see me at Mm. 6.30 at night, both of them. And I looked at my husband and I said, this is not going to be a good conversation. I immediately went on Arimidex and Ibrance. And I did really well with both of them. Not horrible side effects, fatigue, that kind of thing, but nothing horrible with the Ibrance and the Arimidex. And by this time, I had changed my oncologist. Mm-hmm. I decided that I woke up one morning after my oncologist that I was seeing referred me to my GP when I called saying I was having trouble breathing and I had a fever and he knowing very well that my tumors were near my lungs and he referred me to my GP. I said, you know what? I want a badass doctor. So the badass doctor I knew was a researcher and clinician at Duke. And so I quickly changed my doctor and The first time I saw her, she had done all the workups, et cetera. And as we were leaving, she said, well, what we're doing right now is fine. Ibrance and Arimidex. She looked me in the eye and she said, if you are stable for one year, we're going to go in and radiate the hell out of those two tumors. Which is controversial, I know, but she just really believed with only two Mets and I was doing well on the Ibrance that we should go get them. They were, she said, slow growing, she thought. So we did. Two years later, went in, had a round of radiation to those two tumors, stayed stable maybe two more years. And then I had a met in my left hip and we cryoablated it, which was so much easier than trying to radiate it. And it also allowed for a really good biopsy so that we knew that I was still ER positive. And I guess maybe about a year and a half ago, I had three new Mets. So the new Mets came up and Dr. Force had mentioned to me that if on the PET scan I had new Mets, would I be interested and willing to try? this new FES scan, because it would help us determine whether the new Mets are still ER positive. 
And I said, heck yeah. I was the third person at Duke to have it. So at that time, I had probably eight Mets. All of them lit up strongly estrogen positive. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to have biopsies. And that's the key thing. I started having pain in that area months before we had the scan. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had a scan while I was having pain, but it didn't show up because I don't think it was big enough yet for the PET scan. Certainly is a huge step forward in terms of having to have biopsies, invasive biopsies. I mean, I am so estrogen positive. But what it did mean is that I had to switch my treatment. Yeah, let's talk about that. So this informed your treatment without a biopsy. And so what did you end up doing then? I went off Ibrantz and went on and I'm on Verzenia and still on Arimidex. And I went on Verzenio and it was horrible in terms of the diarrhea. Ah, okay. And I mean, I could barely leave the house because it's urgent. It was so bad. So I tried to <laughs> I tried to convince Dr. Force to let me go back to Ibrantz and up my Arimidex amount. You know, I, I, I bargained with him on all <laughs> kinds of things and said, well, can I have a week vacation from Virginia like I did from Ibrantz? And, you know, he just looked at me and said, I hear you and we can talk about it, but I'd rather follow the data. What he was willing to do is lower the dose. 150 twice a day. And he lowered the dose to 100 twice a day. And that helped. I still have some diarrhea, but not every day. And it's not urgent. And so it can be controlled with Imodium or something like that. But the question was, was it going to work as well? I've had two scans being on the lower dose and I'm fine. No new meds, no new growth. I've been on the Virginia a little over a year. And I've been metastatic five and a half years. In January, it'll be six years. I'm trying to remember, I think it was after we saw how ER positive I was that we did the garden to see oh. if I had actionable mutations. And I didn't. Okay. And so, so you added that after the FES? Yes. And I think that helped inform him to just to not do anything radical, but just move to Virginia. Okay. So on that, how did you know to change the CDK46 inhibitor, the Ibrantz to Virginia versus changing the Arimidex? Do you know? No. We thought about it. And he just said, it really feels like the Arimidex is doing really well. It's not causing you the side effects. Let's go to Virginia. And since I now have two scans that are really, really good, we're going to stay the course. And then, you know, do I go to Flutrestrin or what are the other things out there still available if I still stay estrogen positive? And Mm -hmm. if I get a new tumor, you know, we'll do that FES again.
Now let's meet our clinical expert who you heard at the open, Hannah Linden, MD. Dr. Linden is director of the Breast Cancer Program at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, Washington. She also serves as associate program director of the Medical Oncology and Hematology Oncology Fellowship Program and the Athena Distinguished Professor of Breast Cancer Research at the University of Washington in Seattle. In her clinical practice, she specializes in breast cancer with an expertise in endocrine therapy, clinical trials, and molecular imaging. She has been a principal investigator on the FES molecular imaging technology for almost two decades and played a key role in getting it through FDA approval. I want to welcome you, Dr. Linden. This is Dr. Hannah Linden from the Fred Hutch Cancer Center in Seattle. They have just completed a merger of the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center and Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. So now the appropriate term is Fred Hutch Cancer Center. I am really honored to bring Dr. Linden to the podcast today because she's a very special person in my own life. She is my oncologist. So if I call you Hannah, it's because we're very familiar with each other. One of my favorite people. Our understanding is that you have been involved with this product all the way through as a PI. So can you tell us about why it's so important and such a new development? All right. So we all know that the estrogen receptor is just super important in breast cancer. It's important. It's our first targeted therapy, and it's been known for over a century. You can do an oophorectomy in patients, remove their ovaries, and, and they have a response. And this is old news that was detected in the mammary gland tumors. So it's a well-known target and it's hugely important. It tells you two things. It tells you what your prognosis is and it predicts response to endocrine therapy. So if the estrogen receptor isn't present, then you are not going to benefit from endocrine therapy or endocrine-based therapy. And if the estrogen receptor is present, you are going to benefit from those therapies very likely predicts that you will have a a clinical benefit from those therapies. But it also is prognostic in that ER-positive tumors just have a different pace. They can recur late. They are usually more slow-growing or indolent. It's a different beast than a triple-negative tumor. And so it's a really important marker of your tumor. All the data we have about FES is really in the metastatic setting in the metastatic setting, many patients don't just present with one bone metastases. And so you're really curious to know, okay, the one I sampled showed this, but what about the rest of them? And that's what FES can do. It's useful. It's a cool target. And we've been studying it for a long time. This took forever to accomplish. And the person who developed the tracer and really invented it is a guy named John Katzenellenbogen who has mercifully lived long enough to see the success. But it's really been, I think, hard on him that it took so long for it to get anywhere. And the real reason is you have to synthesize it. It's expensive. It's complicated. People, I think, worried about safety because it's a radioisotope and, and the world wasn't quite ready for it. And now we have PSMA and other prostate targets and we we have a bunch of other tracers out there. And But this is the first tumor target tracer to have. And so it's very different. FDG is just, okay, it's metabolically active, but it doesn't tell you what drug to use. This tells right. you that endocrine therapy is going to be useful. So Katzenellenbogen is, I believe, at the University of Indiana. I've collaborated with the folks at Washington University. 
So they published the first paper about FES and we published the second one. And the group in the Netherlands has also published extensively and does great work on this topic. And that is why FES got approved in Europe sooner than here. But we probably had the largest experience in the U.S., our group. So I've had patients who gone on the study where they actually had a lot of symptoms and it was a weird experience for them. And then the regular scans don't quite show the extent of disease, but the FES does. And it's it's nice so that they think, oh, I'm not crazy. This is really what it is. And now I can get a better picture of my tumor and I can understand the symptoms I was having. And by the way, they're all getting better on this therapy. So things are going well. Now, let me answer what's the difference between FDG and FES scan. So they're very different. FDG is a radio-labeled sugar, and those are a pain in the neck to do. As anybody who's done the prep for it knows, you don't want your, your brown muscle activated. You have to do this whole thing with fasting. And if you're a diabetic, your sugars have to be low enough. And it's just a mess. And if you're on GCSF, your bone marrow has to not be stimulated. So there are just all these things. And the right way to do an FTG involves you sitting and resting quietly prior, which doesn't always happen. FES is a huge difference for patients. Martha here. Let's take a quick break before continuing with Dr. Linden. She was just mentioning the prep for a PET scan. And we probably all have been through that. It needs to be a fasting test with no physical activity for at least 24 hours. This is all much easier with the FES. There's no fasting and no resting needed because it is not a glucose-based test. There are, however, three important limitations to the FES Seriana scan we want to highlight. One of the disappointing aspects of the FES radio tracer is that it just doesn't overcome the imaging issues that clinicians have for metastatic lobular breast cancer. Even though it may be estrogen receptor positive metastatic lobular breast cancer, the FES cannot find progression in many of the places that lobular breast cancer tends to spread, such as the gastrointestinal tract and the peritoneal cavity. This is an ongoing issue for people with lobular metastatic breast cancer. It also can't tell you if liver metastases are being driven by the estrogen receptor, and that's because of how the liver processes the radio tracer. Because the liver is the organ that clears the FES tracer out of the body, the entire organ will light up on a scan and look like it is full of FES, and it just cannot isolate cancer metastases in the liver. So unfortunately, FES is not at this time a useful tool to diagnose or monitor liver meds. Last, for patients on active estrogen blockade therapies like fulvestrant or tamoxifen, the FES tracer will not be able to bind to the estrogen receptor because of the activity of those drugs. Patients will need to go off of these medications, called a washout period, before having an FES scan. In the next section, Dr. Linden elaborates on the many challenges of FES and lobular estrogen receptor positive MBC and how she cares for these lobular patients in her practice. The 
there's a bunch of really great things it can do. Well, there are a couple of things it can't do, which is really depressing. And one of them is figure out what's going on in your gastrointestinal tract. That is an area of the body that we just struggle to image. We struggle for people with neuroendocrine tumors. This is not just breast cancer. We struggle with people with ovarian cancer. It's just hard to image the peritoneal cavity and where the pancreas lives in that part of your retroperitoneal space very well. This is just a problem because of the way imaging works and the way our bodies work. And FES doesn't get you over that at all. So the group in the Netherlands did a study where they randomized people to no prep at all, just what we just described, uh, to fasting and to chocolate because they wanted to give them fat. <laughs> and you can tell this was a European study because if it was in the United States, it would have been French fries. You know, but this is a European chocolate. So they were trying to basically see if, if you could do anything so that we could visualize that intestinal tract better because that's a problem. That's where lobular cancers love to hide. And so it's, it's a huge issue. Anyway, the study showed no difference with all three props. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of time. And it's really disappointing. And I'm really glad they did it, but I'm crushed because I want to know how to see that. And so the disappointing truth is that I've had patients with tumor in those areas and we do not see them by FES. We only see them when it's overgrown into areas that we can see. And so this is very disappointing because I don't do it often, but periodically we have to take a lobular question, is it lobular, to a laparoscopic diagnosis, an open surgery to find it. And I would love to tell you that FES gets you over that, but it doesn't. There's nonspecific GI uptake that looks positive, but every patient has it. It, okay. it comes out in the bile and it goes through the intestine. And so what I do for those patients, this is people who don't know if they have metastatic cancer, is we do an upper GI by endoscopy and we do a lower, we do a colonoscopy. We do an upper endoscopy, lower endoscopy. And by direct visual extension of that internal skin, we sometimes find things. And then if that doesn't work, I send them to a surgeon with a particular interest in this topic who, who does a minimally invasive procedure. They'll show you what's going on in your bones, what's going on in your lungs, what's going on in your lymph nodes elsewhere. And those are all helpful. And we haven't done studies of, I can't tell you how sensitive or specific it is for brain meds, but I can tell you it shows brain meds. I think the other real question that we all want to know is, can it show a, a thin net, a thin sheet of cells? And like how What's the resolution? Which is lobular, which, which is, is lobular. the lobular problem. So the thing yeah. about lobulars is they then cake. And so you can see, you get a nice layer. Patient I described to you who thought, wow, now that I can see the FES, I understand every symptom I've got. Had a ton of it in her throat and neck and, and chest. It visualized all that beautifully. But how thin can we get? We haven't done that yet. That's the next frontier. That's exactly what we want to look at is we want to look at a direct comparison to biopsy and SUV specific uptake value from the PET scan and mm -hmm. figure out what's the threshold. If I had to guess, I think it's going to be of an ER rich tumor, half a centimeter. That's my educated guess. Notice that I said a couple things <laughs> ER rich. There are lobular tumors that are ER poor. 
I've seen triple negative lobular tumors. I've seen HER2 positive lobular tumors. We have a poster at ASCO that shows that we can find the triple positive. Like we can see by FES the ER positive and HER2 positive tumor. So it's not that HER2 is in the way, but it's just that if you're really low on ER, it's negative. We can't see it. So that's another group of lobulars that I'm not helping with this technology. But for the garden variety lobular tumor, I think this is helpful to gauge extent of disease and can help you and can encourage you to stay with endocrine-based therapy. Remember our patient in this episode, Pam Cole? Fortunately, Seriana confirmed that all of Pam's sites were the same, lighting up as ER positive everywhere, which meant that she could continue on estrogen therapy by changing her CDK4-6 inhibitor drug. This is an example of FES Seriana confirming a homogenous case of ER positive disease. The second example of Seriana's usefulness is to confirm if the metastatic sites are behaving differently or heterogeneously, which would mean that estrogen therapy alone will not work. In this case, your doctor would probably need a PET scan to show active metastatic sites and then an FES scan to follow on a different day. If the active sites on PET do not show up on FES, then your doctor knows there must be another subtype in play, and estrogen therapy alone will not work. More testing, like a blood or tissue biopsy, will likely be needed to confirm what other subtype is involved before deciding on a treatment. The third example is best explained by Dr. Linden and has to do with patients who've lost hormone sensitivity over time on hormone therapy and have had to transition to chemotherapy. FES can help determine if they might be candidates to take a break from chemo and retry hormone therapy and when best to do so. Let me just tell you the other time that I think people should be using it. So in the community, you get endocrine therapy, and then when that doesn't work, you get chemotherapy. You just keep going with the chemotherapy, okay? Now, for some patients, it's exactly what they need. The tumor's growing at a much higher proliferative pace, and you better give them chemotherapy or you're going to get behind. When I had access to some of these fantastic drugs that we have now, palbociclib and ribociclib, I would take patients who have been on years of chemotherapy and say, hey, I think you need a break. When I was judging it by the pace of things for them and how much tumor bulk they had and a few other things, like I had time to give them a break. And I've seen lovely responses to bemociclib in that setting in patients who have had prior palbociclib. Now that I have FES, I can use that to decide when to do it. Okay, so I think that's the other key use. I do think sometimes chemotherapy is what you got. And now we're going to have this HER2 low thing, and that might be better for patients. You don't want to let somebody suffer with progression of disease if you have a tool that can knock it down. But I think that endocrine therapy is underutilized in ER-positive patients. And it really is upsetting to me that people get put in a bin that says, okay, you're just getting chemotherapy, and we're just down my laundry list of all the things I can give. That's not right. This is the tool to help you figure that out. So what you're saying is that if a patient is experiencing hormone resistance, 
your estrogen receptor response may go down, but it also may come back. And that throws you back into a category where estrogen blockade may work again, perhaps a different drug. In some patients, you can actually recycle therapy, but we, yeah. that's a little, that's a little, uh, it's a, that's complicated. And we have so many great drugs. You probably don't need to do that. But the question is, could you go back? Could you, could estrogen sensitivity get restored? Where FES is really fun is that it shows you what's happening in bone. The most common site of breast cancer, not resist measurable. So patients are excluded from most studies, which is really right. annoying. So we published a case report of a patient who had bone dominant lesions, a specific spine lesion was positive, and then it was negative, and then it became positive, the exact same spot in her body. And she was sensitive to endocrine therapy, then she wasn't, and then after some chemotherapy, then she was again. So it can come back. And yes, it's very helpful here to figure it out. But let me point out that there are a couple limitations here. So FES is a radio-labeled estrogen. The F is fluoridinated. That's what the F stands for. So it, it is an exceedingly low dose of estrogen. Like you're not going to get a hot flash or you know any. You're not going to have any symptoms <laughs> because it's tiny and it's a trace and it's in and out of your body. But FES doesn't work if you're on a blocking agent. So if you're on fulvestrin or tamoxifen, the site is blocked. So let's say you've been on fulvestrin for five years. <laughs> you can't do an FES scan. Because it's going to take a little while to wash that out. This is a little bit controversial. So when we studied it, we've said 60 days off tamoxifen or fulvestrant. That's what's in all our protocols. And that's what I think. But what's in the label for Seriana is six months. Because I think that this is a question that we all have. Fulvestrant doesn't completely block anyway. So I think if they're doing it right, you shouldn't get it for six months. So then it'll wash out. So there are some limitations, but I think the real exciting point for people is, would you take a break from chemotherapy and would now be a good time? That's huge. It's huge because I think that your life on chemotherapy is hard, but I don't mean that while the cancer is eating you alive, it's a good time to try it. Sometimes the cancer can be really awful and involve your liver, which FES doesn't see because that's where the tracers metabolize. There can be an inappropriate moment for it. But I think for many people with metastatic breast cancer, it's a disease you can't live with. So you want to judge appropriately and make really thoughtful decisions about what's the best thing next. And if possible, you want the, the treatment to have a fair therapeutic index, meaning it's not that toxic and you can feel okay on it. So anyway, I think that is another good time for FES. And if that's the message you're looking for, for patients, it's a logical time to ask. The FES scan is so new. Do you think that there will be problems having it covered with insurance, especially when there may be other scans needed? I've been getting this covered because we're in a window where it's going to be covered. And I'm really wanting people to use it appropriately so that that doesn't get taken away from us. So you have a tumor that's always been ER negative. Please don't order it. That's inappropriate. I don't want people using it inappropriately and I don't want you getting it every five minutes anyway. But yes, it is. It's a coverage issue. It's an expensive issue. It's also just an availability issue. It's, I think it's only available on certain cities in the country. And I think those cities are mostly on the coast. So you can get it in Western Washington and not Eastern Washington. It's really important to explain the accessibility issues Dr. Linden mentioned. 
There are only 14 special facilities across the United States that are close enough to major cancer centers to allow this test to work. And this matters because you have to receive treatment within a three-hour drive of one of those production sites. The drug must be made up new for each patient and injected before it expires. That's what's called the half-life of a radioactive tracer. This leaves a large portion of the United States without a production site at this time. So large areas of the Midwest, the Plains, and the Southwest, as well as other areas of the country, do not have access to the FES PET CT radio tracer Seriana available at this time. That's not to say that you can't work something out with your oncology team to go to a location where it is available. But that requires money and time and all the things that interfere with us in our lives with metastatic breast cancer. But if you think you fit into the situations where FES Seriana can be helpful, do bring it up with your oncologist. It has already changed people's lives because it allows for better, more informed decision-making. When you are at a point that you have to make treatment decisions that will work for you right now. This imaging tracer that can tell you why you are having progression by helping to clarify what subtype it is or is not, is just jaw-dropping. So this is not available everywhere and it's not covered for all things. It's not covered for a stage one tumor either. You have to use it appropriately. But I think we're not going to stop doing research on this to prove what it's good for and what it isn't. And we're actually going to do research looking at uh, progesterone receptor imaging, which we can talk about another time. But it is covered. I think this was decades in the making, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We all owe you a, a debt of gratitude for your work to bring it to fruition and for helping us explain it to patients today. These are all really interesting questions. And I think, I think what's just hard is that there are many questions you can ask. And also we're in a dynamic environment where, where just everything's changing. And so we don't have all the answers and we need to figure out how to design the best studies to find them. And we just have some other tools now, and, and that's going to be exciting. I think it's a real opportunity for us to do better. I think the thing that's hard, depressing about being an oncologist is, have you overtreated somebody? Have you given them side effects without benefit? Nobody wants to do that. And I think the story of oncology has been empiric treatment that's probably too aggressive. And I think we're now developing the tools to do less. And that is what we really want to do. You still want to treat people. I'm not saying, no, stop. But I think you want to be able to use the right drug in the right situation. And this is definitely going to help us do that. I'm pretty happy with that. This is what we want. I think people have suffered in ways. And the thing that actually breaks my heart about the average patient is I think that they take one dose of chemotherapy and perhaps that chemotherapy is TC chemotherapy and makes them feel horrible. And they're just like, okay, I'm done. That's just heart-wrenching to me because I got better ways to treat people. And and I think we've lost a number of people that way. And I don't, I want to see that stop. It's very hard to see that as a patient too, to hear someone yeah. else saying they're going to yeah. stop and you, yeah. Yeah, but it's because it was just too hard on them. You're giving a lot of hope to us. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you now feel informed and confident asking your doctor about the FES Siriana scan. Thanks to GE Healthcare for their support of this podcast today. For more information, please check out the episode notes on our website, ournbclife.org, where we'll post a map of current sites offering the FES scan. You can also look back and listen to any of our over 100 past podcast episodes too. This episode was co-produced by Martha Carlson and me, Linda Weatherby, with original music and sound design by our associate producer, Connor Kinsley. A big thanks to Miranda Gonzalez and Nancy Roylance for their production support, too. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Vice President of Patient Support and Education at Share Cancer Support. We also have a closed Facebook group at Our NBC Life, where you can chat with us. Please check it out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Our NBC Life.